Welcome to After All, a cross-generational podcast dedicated to discovering and rediscovering the social, political, and personal impact of The Mary Tyler Moore Show. I'm your host, Ariel Fisher. And I'm Sylvia McCon. And welcome to the episode, guys. This week, we're on to episode nine, Bob and Rhoda and Teddy and Mary, uh, which we discovered is kind of based on the title is inspired i guess by the 1970 film bob and carol and ted and alice the poster even looks very similar yes, same kind of uh, uh font as uh the, yeah. the poster for the mary tyler Moore very show. similar font and it's all laid out in the same kind of technicolor look it's mm-hmm. on an angle it's a little bit different but it's still kind of the same idea. I think it's also very popular. It was very popular at in, the time. At the time, yeah. In its day, so. And uh, it's that that film was starring Natalie Wood, Robert Culp, uh, Elliot Gould, and Diane Cannon. Uh, about this, these two couples that kind of, I guess, inadvertently form a bit of a foursome. And well, it kind of plays into this in a way. The Teddy in the title of this episode is a bit of a. A bit of a red herring. Mm-hmm. Essentially, the episode is, according to IMDb, Rhoda's new boyfriend takes an interest in Mary, and the newsroom preoccupies itself with the impending Teddy Awards. So the uh, the bo- the aforementioned boyfriend of Rhoda at this time, who she thinks is the one, and she's set and and in love, is uh, name is Bob. He is the Bob in this equation, and yeah, so. He Rhoda brings Bob over to Mary's to introduce them, and he starts falling for Mary. He thinks she's lovely, just lovely. Mm-hmm. And it all gets a little carried away, and he starts to really prefer Mary and won't socialize with Rhoda unless Mary is there. And then Rhoda is Rhoda's no fool. And she starts to really see what's going on, especially since he starts hanging out with Mary without Rhoda present. Right. And and then calls Rhoda, calls Mary's apartment, really not looking for Rhoda, but looking for Mary. Mm-hmm. And then she, she Rhoda, essentially confronts him on the phone, saying, "Which one of which one of us do you like better?" Exactly. And you got to be careful what questions you ask if you don't want to know the answer. But mm-hmm. she finds out that he likes Mary better. Yep. And of course. Mary's her best friend. And it's through no fault of her own. Like, Mary didn't oh, yeah. do anything to initiate this. or Absolutely to, nothing. To uh, involve herself in this. She was just playing, going along with the threesome, going out together and having mm-hmm. fun. And it just buds all kinds of resentment. And I think that's... What's kind of nice about this is... We get like this is this is one of those episodes that again there's there's not a lot to it there's not much going on, but at the same time there's a lot being addressed in terms of uh, female relationships mm. and that idea of 
you know, because I guess up until this point, everything was represented as, you know, very happy-go-lucky and, you know, girlfriends are girlfriends and they're all close and buddy-buddy and they want the best for each other and they really want to, you know, see them meet a nice guy. And there's never really any tension or any real resentment that's based out of any genuine issue. And here we see a very genuine issue that the man that Rhoda is, you know, very quickly falling in love with is not interested in her, but is interested in her best friend. And Rhoda is understandably upset about this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and at the same time, Mary is up for this Teddy Award and really wants to see herself win. And and Rhoda is struggling to be supportive. And, you know, I know I've had a number of relationships with women where I never felt like I could be honest with them about what I if I was upset with them for something like it felt like you you had to just kind of go along with things and just say yes and just be present and not not really take issue with either what they were doing or how they were treating you. And that can be incredibly toxic. So it's actually quite nice to see this representation of, you know, at first they're struggling with that level of honesty, mm-hmm. but then then they then they then they kind of do the one upmanship. If I can be totally honest with you, when such and such a thing happened, mm-hmm. this is how I really, really felt. Yeah. And I resented you. I resent you for making more money than me at a job that I feel is less important than mine. Mm. And I, you know, I resent you for, you know, Bob liking you more or all of these other things. And and just the fact that they're able to... And it takes the entire episode to get to that point. And, and Rhoda is definitely still happy for Mary for this award, but she relishes in her not winning and in mortifying herself yes. by, you know, going up to accept the award because she doesn't actually hear the name that they announce. Mm-hmm. Although I think... I think Rhoda set her up. Oh, completely did. She totally and, did. And it's it's kind of like, oh, you're nasty. Yeah. Which reminds me of um, All About Eve. Oh, yeah, I can see that. In just in the that that subtle undermining in order to get personal gain, or mm-hmm. at least to step up in your own eyes. In, above your friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, in that case, it was a lot nastier. A lot nastier oh, and definitely yeah. involved a lot more gaslighting. Oh, yeah. Which For was, sure. yeah. And believe it or not, if there's anything I can do, there is something. I think I know. Something most important you can do. You want to play Cora. You want me to tell Lloyd I think you should play it. If you told him so, he'd give me the part. He said he would. After all you've said, don't you know that part was written for Margot? It might have been 15 years ago. It's my part now. You talk just as Addison said you did. Cora is my part. You've got to tell Lloyd it's for me. I don't think anything in the world would make me say that. Addison wants me to play it. Over my dead body. That won't be necessary. Addison knows how Margot happened to miss that performance. How I happened to know she'd miss it in time to call him and notify every paper in town. It's quite a story. Addison could make quite a thing of it. Imagine how snide and vicious he could get and still tell nothing but the truth. I had a time persuading him. You better sit down. You look a bit wobbly. If I play Cora, Addison will never tell what happened, in or out of print. A simple exchange of favors. 
I'm so happy I can do something for you at long last. Your friendship with Margot. Your deep, close friendship. What would happen to it, do you think, if she knew the cheap trick you'd played on her for my benefit? You and Lloyd. How long, even in the theater, before people forgot what happened and trusted you again? No. It'd be so much easier for everyone concerned if I were to play Cora. So much better theater, too. Part in a play. You do all that just for a part in a play. I'd do much more for a part that good. And talk about a great movie. Oh my God. I know. Love One of the ultimate fabulous movies with oh, yeah. strong female characters. But in this particular case, the it's interesting when they start doing the one upmanship about let's be honest with each other about this and about that and about the other. And then when it when Mary started saying and when I found out that Bob liked me better. And you could see Rhoda's face kind of saying, uh, no, we're stopping there. Mm -hmm. That is... You, that's you, enough. That's enough. The filters are back on and we are not... Um, we are not discussing that issue. So making more money is okay and, and uh, uh, making a fool of yourself is okay. But honestly, relishing the fact that my now ex-boyfriend likes you better is not okay. No. So when it comes down to it, it's all about the boyfriend and the men and all of that. Mm -hmm. The other thing I, that occurred to me, and this is with respect to two episodes ago in episode seven, when they, when they talked about Mary being the head cheerleader and the perfect girl and all of these things. So that recurrent theme which mm -hmm. I think is the basis for their friendship in a way yes. of the fat, ugly duckling loser girl mm -hmm. and the perfect cheerleader girl um, and kind of seeing the dynamics between the two of them that way. Uh, it continues throughout the episodes as yeah. we've seen before. And it's definitely kind of, I guess, in a way, you, it's also, I guess, that kind of almost a younger sibling syndrome, that jealousy of the older perfect mm. sibling. Mm -hmm. um, even though they're not sisters, but it definitely plays into that. And did did you ever have a relationship like this with another, like with with a female friend, or or even even a male friend? Um, I'm trying to think. Did I? I mean, with with my former friend Margot, who mm. we just recently talked about. Yeah. So this is someone that I was friends with in. <clears throat> junior high and then all into high school and into our married lives like for a long time mm -hmm. and she was the vivacious popular girl she wasn't it, it, it was and it wasn't looks necessarily but she just had a larger than life personality she was this tiny little thing mm -hmm. and I always envied her tiny little figure <laughs> and the fact that she always got guys she always got like the cool guys mm -hmm. and I was stuck with the lesser of cool guys in a way and she just she was just a very outgoing very gregarious person mm -hmm. and I was the I was the straight man huh. to her gregariousness so right. yeah there was certainly an element of how come you're so good at this she's so good at being flirty and yeah. being vivacious and I was the more serious kid 
Yeah, you had the harder time kind of being that effortless, yeah. effervescent yeah. human. Yeah, I mean, over time, I think that I, it's not that I deliberately overcame that. I think it just came with, with uh, experience and with uh, life, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, but certainly that was in, in our earlier days. I had a great time with her. We, yeah. You know, we had a, a, a great friendship and uh, it kind of extended to her siblings as well. I was, okay, you know, yeah, and I remember she had a, was it her younger sister? She's the eldest of three, so she right. has two younger sisters, mm-hmm. and I went with them to a cottage in Jackson's Point for a week. Uh, they took me along in their family cottage vacation, and I remember having such a great time. It was so fun to kind of just be out there. I remember jumping in the lake with our Levi jeans. Huh that were hard as a board and, you know, to get them all like soft and scrubbed up and, right. um, that was, you know, the things you remember as kids, but yeah, the, the dynamic of that relationship was, was quite distinct. Mm-hmm. She was the front and center. Right. And you yeah. always felt kind of second fiddle. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. And I don't know if, if you can relate to this, depending on who you're with and who you're, you're, having a friendship with, and I'm talking female friendships, mm-hmm. there are certain people, and, and it doesn't have to be such a close friendship, there are people that make you feel, or they don't do it deliberately, it's no. just their personality. With certain people, I feel frivolous and, and kind of out there, and with other people, I feel like I'm the frump. Which obviously depends on the, the degree of of uh i don't even know how to say it it depends on where i am in relation to them like with Mm -hmm. certain people in my life they're very straight and narrow and they're very traditional and they're very by the book Mm -hmm. and so because i wear makeup i'm the frivolous one huh okay so by what why frivolous because somehow I engage in things that are less important. Okay. And it's not that they, and it's not that I don't engage in things that are important as well. Okay. But it's, it's. You're somehow less serious. I'm somehow less serious because I have a, a, a certain level of vanity. But I definitely had, I don't know if I had. No, I guess I have had friendships like that where I kind of always felt, I wouldn't even say frivolous in the same way, but I've definitely had friendships where, like, I look at how they communicate and I'm envious because I, you know, it's rare that you can, and it's not something that people talk about, but you sometimes find yourself in positions where you are, um, Where you have less of a voice and less of a, of a, of a significant role in the friendship. In the friendship? I guess frivolous so one does. The, one is kind of the leader yes, of the friendship. And domineering and kind of controlling in, of everything. In terms of, of 
how much you communicate, what you communicate about, what you do, yeah. how you get together, kind all of, of that. Yes, and kind of dictating the terms of the relationship as if there are certain guidelines to follow. Yes. And, and certain and, regulations. And, 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 and we know what that's about. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And it's, and it's unfortunate because it really undermines the idea of... Equality. Equality, <laughs> personhood, individuality. Yeah. Um, all of these things that just kind of are are at play in general basic mm-hmm. human relationships mm-hmm. that you can't the way the fundamentals of any relationship are that you should be able to communicate with that person I mean obviously depending on the level of sever- seriousness of the relationship but somebody that yeah. you've been friends with for many years yeah. who you you know could consider a sister you have to be able to be honest with them obviously to a d- to a degree or with certain levels of kid gloveness because that's just basic that's just basic human decency yes that there are some you you should always there be able to be filters. honest yeah but you should be able to use certain filters to consider their their feelings yes you don't want to hurt people by saying things that may be uh, harsh for them to hear unless that truth has a purpose Yes. If you want to say you're in a destructive relationship with your boyfriend and you need to stop, mm-hmm. they may not want to hear it, but but they need to be told. Yes. But there are times when your honesty serves no purpose, so why say it? Yeah. And sometimes people, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you need to come to, like, if, you're, if your honesty is about, you know, a decision that that person is making and you think it's the wrong decision well sometimes they need to learn that lesson themselves and Mm -hmm. sometimes no matter what you say Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter so there's really no point in causing them any distress or 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 even feelings of insecurity about how much you believe in them because that can damage things as well absolutely but when it comes to the way you react with one another like for instance, Mary telling Rhoda, you know, I, I, I am sometimes jealous of the amount of money that you make because I think I do a more important job. Yes. I mean, and that's a bold thing to share because it undermines what Rhoda does. I think we have a little problem between us. Oh, Mary, I told you. I, I haven't thought about Bob at all. It's over. No, no, no. We don't have a problem with Bob. No, no. Yes. We have a problem because I'm not too crazy about the fact that you are so happy that I lost. You think I'm happy over you falling on your face like you did? (laughs) Yeah, you see, that's just what I'm talking about. Ever since that phone call... Now, wait a minute. Do you really think I sat there rooting for my best friend to lose? That I enjoyed it when you thought they called your name? (laughs) (laughs) When you said they called my name... Did I? (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, Mary, now I'm laughing about it. But back there, when that happened, you rushed up and then lost the award. It was the happiest moment of my life. (laughs) (laughs) So what are you you smiling at me for? I'm a terrible person. Rhoda, you are not terrible. Because I just discovered something so wonderful. Everybody is terrible. I got to tell you something. I have a little confession to make. I 
have always resented the fact that you make more money than I do, and I think my job is a lot more important than yours. Oh. Yes! Really? Now, do you <laughs> see why I was... <laughs> <laughs> now I... Oh, I got another one for you. What? I have always resented the fact that you have this marvelous apartment and don't know how to decorate it. <laughs> oh, Rhoda, I feel like I have a giant weight off my shoulders. Right. Isn't this wonderful to be able to talk oh, honestly like this? Right, yeah. <laughs> mm, I got another one. <laughs> Shoot. When I found out that Bob liked me, the way I really felt was... I think we've had enough honest talking for tonight, don't you? <laughs> and it, it does. And, and, you know, there are certain taboo subjects. Money. Money. Sex. Yep. Religion. Mm-hmm. Politics. Uh, politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the big taboo subjects. There are smaller ones as well. And I think in, in relationships... Amongst women, mm-hmm. there are a million little things like, you know, you paint your eyebrows on too thick. Uh, <laughs> <Aww. you know. laughs> no, not you, dear. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it can get it can get to the really really trivial, but the big things like we we value what we do when we put a dollar figure to it, mm-hmm. and in the fledgling world of working women in the seventies. The amount of money that one makes is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, it still is a big deal now. But to be honest, to be a news producer versus a window dresser, yeah, I'd be resentful too. Yeah, there's a little bit of, it's it's interesting where the kind of, I guess, the the social hierarchy of relevance comes into play, Mm -hmm. you know, like... Mm -hmm being an administrative assistant for a company and basically being its office manager, yet making less money than people that I used to work with who are waiters. Yeah. You know, like things like that. And every now and then it's like, shit, man, I should really be making more money. But there's no, but you can't necessarily say that to a person because you know the amount of work that it takes to do it. I used to do it, right? And it's, but it's that kind of, and I get that idea. It's how you value, how, how you monetize the work that you do. Yes, but even just from the aspect of a friendship, I think the idea that they're representing this kind of like this notion of full disclosure, honesty, yeah. and we shouldn't hide anything from each other. And right. we should be able to tell each other when we're feeling these things, mm-hmm. these negative things. And that also seems to kind of play with what's at play in in that film and Bob right. and Carol and Ted and Alice, yes. this idea of full disclosure and that they're hiding feelings for one another's spouses and that there's this kind of unspoken thing happening. Um, so there is a lot of relevance to that movie mm-hmm. in this, it, it, both in the uh, let's play honest and in the, I like your boyfriend or, or your boyfriend, your boyfriend likes, likes me. me. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, so we need to watch that film. We really do. We do. I think we should. I don't think I've ever seen it. I definitely haven't seen it. Yeah. I've, I've well, heard of it. Yeah, but. Right. But it was quite iconic for its day. So Yeah. And, it, well, I mean, for 1970, it's dealing with taboo subjects yep. of polygamy and, uh, you know, I guess kind I, of the concept of adultery. And I think it's more adultery than polygamy. I don't think it was polygamy, but I think it was kind of 
the as I said, you know, the sexual revolution was was uh, getting um, uh, into full swing, mm-hmm. no pun intended, and uh, <laughs> and it was before AIDS. So and and after the pill, yeah. So there's a lot of sexual freedom that people were really reveling in. Mm-hmm. So and that's just you know, oh my god, incredibly. There's so much there to discuss, yeah. but. Um, it's interesting, though, so far in this show, yeah. in the Mary Tyler Moore show in general, when we've seen love interests and boyfriends and all of that, it's still very chaste. It's very chaste. Everything is. There's no you, sex. No. There isn't even really the insinuation of sex. No, none. So it's still very... Chaste, uh, like you chaste. said. Yeah, very much so. And yeah. even just the relationship with Rhoda, like it's... I can see how they might lean on trying to portray her as being too fast, like physically, but they don't. And they don't even suggest, like you said, it's chaste. You don't get this element of, you know, the, that the sexual have revolution date, has happened. Hab- yeah, yeah, it's just have date, will date. Will like date. It's, you'll and go out leads, and you'll do things. And, and, it, and then it'll lead to marriage proposals. Yes. And then there will be a child and there will be no discussion of how any of this came to be. No. No, because so, so while this is groundbreaking, so far we're still in season one. So I, to be honest, I don't remember how more relaxed it gets when when yeah. it comes to uh, um, sex. Sex. Mm-hmm. It's it'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh, as things progress. Because as it is now, these relationships are are very they're one dimensional. They're very juvenile. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're like, woo, he's the one. But we've just dated, and now he likes you. Yeah. Well, even just the fact that, you know, Mary has never heard of this man. Um, He's brand new, but he's totally the one. And it feels like the way that I used to think about guys when I was, like, 20. And it was, you meet somebody. you 12. No. (laughs) No. No, when I was, well, that too. But there's very little difference in the way you think about men, I find, from the age of about 12 to 20. But just this idea of oh my god they have so much in 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 uh, they have so much in common with me and they like all of the same things and they think I'm really smart and this is it and this is this is what love is this is what my relationship is going to be and this ah. is the one and we get along and we this and we that and there, there were a handful of people that I knew especially after a long term relationship when you know we'd go for coffee and be like oh yes I've met someone and they're wonderful and they're it. And it's like you want that kind of assuredness in some mm-hmm. kind of relationship, I guess, at that point, because that's, I don't know, proof that you're making it as an adult somehow. I don't know. It's all very perverse at that age, but this feels very juvenile like that. Yeah. It feels like that kind of false sense of trust and faith in... in The ultimate a, goal of marriage. Exactly. Yes. That that's the, the race you're running is to get to that point. Yeah. And that, you know... You have to play your cards right and, you know, don't introduce them to your attractive friends in case they find them more attractive than you. And, Uh, you know, all of it's just it's very strange. It's very it's a very foreign concept, but that seems so at play still. And I'm I'm excited to see that go away, honestly, Mm -hmm. because it's I mean, in a show that's so not about marriage. At least it's for still, Rhoda, yeah. it's still very much about marriage and finding that mate. Like, Rhoda is still an amazing character, but especially in this, I guess, as a, as a criticism, because we haven't really been very critical of the show yet. No. And I think we're struggling to talk about this a little bit because, honestly, I don't like that 
they portray Rhoda in this hyper-dependent way. Because she's so independent. Yeah. She's so her own woman. She has her own career. And she has drive and ambition. And she's very much comfortable in her own skin. To the point of being very funnily self-deprecating. Which takes a lot That's of right. confidence to yes, do. Yes, it does. But we still keep seeing her in these... like. She meets some, she meets Bob and it's like, hey, he's the one that's it. Let's get married. This is amazing. And granted, she deals with the rejection, with the rejection pretty well and Mm -hmm. is like, okay, fine. Screw you if you don't want to be with me. But I find problem with, I I take issue with the fact that she's still represented in that romantically dependent way. Yeah, I agree. And I don't know if painting her I'm trying to I'm trying to put my head in the the directors and writers mm-hmm. of the day to see if they had painted her completely independent mm-hmm. would she be so um alien to the viewing public that she might not have been a, a likable character at all so so you might have to tone it down mm-hmm. by giving her that dependency on marriage it's also a push from her jewish mother yeah because we see that as well you know that's what that, that's what mothers want for their daughters go get married find a husband yes um so even though and i and i think it's a, it's kind of a subtext throughout possibly because it's still early days mm-hmm it's interesting, though, because you can definitely tell the difference between what episodes were written and di- what episodes were written by men and what episodes were written by women. Oh, really? And well, like with something like this, this feels like it came from the brain of a man. Like it doesn't feel like it's very true to specifically with the representations of of desire to marry. OK, like with the way we see Rhoda, this the, and this episode was written by Bob Rogers. Okay. So it was it was, so it was, written, it was by written by a man, directed by Peter Baldwin. But previous episodes like Divorce Isn't Everything was written by Treva Silverman, who wrote uh who also wrote Today I Am a Ma'am. Oh, okay. And uh wrote many different episodes. She won uh, she was later an uncredited writer on Romancing the Stone. Oh, you're kidding. Which, oh, wow. you know, says a great deal because that's and, and she probably did script doctoring, which is why mm-hmm. she's uncredited, because that's usually the way it goes. But she wrote 16 episodes of the Mary Tyler Moore show and she won two Emmys for her work, uh, which, you know, we'll get to in season four, the episode where we deal with Lou getting divorced. Mm. So you do have some representations from female writers on the show, which are mm-hmm. few and far between. The majority of the writers were yeah, male. Treva did six again, sixteen episodes, which is I think bit. which is the most by any single Person. female oh. on the show. Okay. Uh but I, I do find that that's kind of, you know, you still have women by men. You still getting right. that a female voice from the perspective of a man. And that, I think, is very present in this episode, uh, specifically, again, with the way um, with the way Rhoda deals with romance. And I think also, like, we've discussed this issue of the way Mary and Rhoda uh, tell the truth to one another. Mm -hmm. But it still does feel I mean, it's a sitcom, right? So it's going to be light. Yeah. 
but it still does feel a little trivialized. Like they kind of, I think Mary herself adds a lot of weight to it yes. in kind of trying to, you know, address the elephant in the room. Right. And she does it and she does it very well. And I, that's a testament to Mary Tyler Moore's performance mm-hmm. and to Rhoda's performance. Because when she's upset and clearly hurt, she's, she really brings that to life and yeah, she does she a very does. good job of it. But the way their um, interaction is written feels feels a petty little, yeah and it yeah, feels a, and it feels that. a little frivolous like it's treated a little trivially yeah i think the other thing that we have to realize is when we look at comedies of today mm-hmm. and not you know there are comedies and there are comedies mm-hmm. when you look at a, a a successful television show of the 21st century mm-hmm. it's a lot more nuanced it's a lot more layered it's yes. a lot deeper, even in a comedy uh, setting. Mm-hmm. And so you're going from the from the, the 60s into the 1970s. And even though this is groundbreaking in its uh, female-centric roles without a strong leading man, mm-hmm. other than, you know, Lou Grant as the fatherly kind of boss. Right. Uh, so that's groundbreaking. But... The whole comedy lightweight, um, slightly overacting kind of um, uh, way that it has about it is still something that was common then and yeah. has evolved a lot think, since then. Yeah. Since then, like think about Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Think about how they interact with each other and how they speak to each other and how much more complex their interaction their dynamics are mm-hmm. this is simplistic by comparison very and much i think so. it's just a it's it's an era it's an evolution of comedy in television it's a horse of a different color it's a horse of a different color yeah and yeah. that's yeah and that's definitely something to keep in mind especially for me because i am of a i am of a different generation i was not used to this baby i'm a baby i'm an almost 30 year old baby yeah yeah <laughs> But that's, uh, so that is our episode for today. Bob and Rhoda and Teddy and Mary and, you know, Ted Baxter gets to say his lovely little speech at the end. And the first Uh time they actually had uh, the credits roll over action as opposed to doing kind of their regular scenes from the episode. But uh, yeah, so that was that that episode. Probably one of the the less eventful of the Mm -hmm. ones we've looked at so far, Mm -hmm. but that's going to happen out of this, you know. A, a season lot of episodes. It's a lot of episodes. Twenty-four episodes per season. There's a there's a lot to discuss there, um, and also not so much sometimes. But that's the way it goes. But for next week, tune in for episode ten, where we'll be discussing assistant wanted, female. Ooh. I am intrigued. Mary I'm reluctantly intrigued. hires Phyllis to be her assistant in the newsroom. This should be interesting. I love Phyllis. I love Phyllis, Phyllis too. We don't. We haven't been seeing a lot of Phyllis, yeah. and now we get Phyllis back, our lovely Cloris Leachman, whom we adore. And this episode is written by Treva Silverman, ah, so awesome. this should be very interesting. So I'm excited. Blue to the rescue. 
Frau Blucher to the Rescue, as, as written by Treva Silverman and directed by Peter Baldwin. So we will see how that goes next week. And uh, thanks again, obviously, to the guys at Monetary for giving us a lovely home. Be sure to check out all of their other podcasts, including my other podcast, A Frame Apart. And uh, you can find us on the various social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at After All Podcast. And you can get in touch with us by email at afterallpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can tune into the show on SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, the Pocket Cast app, and of course, iTunes. So do subscribe to the show on iTunes, leave us a little review, uh, share us with your friends and family on iTunes, and the more you interact with us there, subscribing, etc., the more visible we become and the more people get to find the show. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys, and we'll see you next week.